forgot how long a walk it is from the back back there to the front when you go all the way from the side to the front. But nevertheless, here I am. Good to see everyone out tonight. Quite a smaller norm number than normal, but really appreciate everyone's effort to be here tonight. Tonight what we're going to talk about comes from something I've been preparing for uh, for a gospel meeting here in a couple of weeks. Uh, as I've been thinking about some of the characteristics uh, of God and how that's kind of the opposite of man, uh, and kind of this struggle between man and God, and, as I talked about in a sermon not too long ago. And as I was studying one of these things that I, I want to think about tonight, something really jumped out at me that I had not paid attention to in the Old Testament before that really stuck with me and struck me. And here's what we're going to talk about. If you open up your Bible to the book of Exodus, and I want you to look in Exodus, the sixth chapter. When we think of the book of Genesis, as Marvin read for us a few moments ago, we think about how God made the world, how God destroyed the world, how God preserved the world, how God then multiplied the world through Noah, as kind of Michael talked about this morning. And then there was one man that he began to focus on in chapter 12. That man being Abram. We're going to go back and we're going to talk about him. And so really, chapter 12 through the end of the book of Genesis is really about one family. And we are learning about that one family a lot of time throughout the rest of the entire Bible. And when we think about God in the Old Testament, our translations don't bring out the different names of God. They just don't. Uh, there are very few translations that do. But we have God referring to himself and speaking of himself and introducing himself with different names to kind of describe the situation and what is going on. And so when we think of God, we have friends in the world that say he has one name, to which, in one sense, he does. That name being Jehovah. Now I want you to notice something that is said in Exodus 6, as Moses is sent to deliver Abraham's family from slavery, okay? I want you to notice what is said in verse 2 to Moses. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am Jehovah. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as Shaddai. Or as your translation flat out says, God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah... I did not make myself known to them. And that doesn't just jump off the page to us unless we're really already thinking in this mindset of the Almighty God. We use a term, religious speaking, and I'm not sure that it's used anywhere else besides religious speaking, this term omnipotent. Someone who has all strength. And that was one of the characteristics I was really looking into about God is that He clearly is all-powerful, all-strong, and one of His names is Shaddai, which means Almighty. And so I began to think about that. Why would God tell Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Hi, I'm Shaddai. But Moses, when he goes to the people in Egypt, would say, Jehovah, the existing one, sent me. 
There's a big difference there for whatever reason, even though it's the same person. Now, I want you to think about it from this perspective. I want you to go back to when God first introduces Himself as Shaddai Almighty. Go back to Genesis chapter 17. I just want you to notice how this little section in the book of Genesis, when God is giving these promises to the fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, this is how either He refers Himself by, or they refer to Him by. So notice, as we read there in verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, alright, so I thought, I was trying to think about this. He was asked to leave his home when he was 75 years old. So we've probably got a couple people in this room right now that are around 75 years old. Uh, imagine, go ahead and move get on out of town, and go a great distance to a land I'll show you. It's pretty ridiculous. On top of, oh, by the way, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And you're sitting there at 75, and you got zero children. Like, oh, really, God? That's what you're going to do with me. You're going to move me, and you're going to give me children, and I'm going to become a great nation. Okay. Well, we know Abraham went. So, if he was called at 75, and we're now at 99, and he still doesn't have a son that is the one that God is talking about, the one through whom the promises would come, you're probably thinking by that time, well, this ain't ever going to happen. But here we have chapter 17 and verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. Remember, he's not Abraham at this point. Abram means exalted father. So his name says he was an exalted father, but he was kind of the opposite of that. And the Lord comes to him, and that name, the Lord, would be the term Jehovah that we would use there. And I believe that's Moses throwing that in there. It appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Shaddai. Walk before me. And be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. And here's the phrase I want to focus on. And may multiply you greatly. Abraham, here's what I want to do with you at 99 years old. I'm going to multiply you. Does that seem like that is possible? When we think about people who are multiplying children, right? We're thinking about people that get married when they are young and they are just turning them out left and right. It's like, man, they don't even give them a time to breathe. In fact, Michael's friend Jeff, that his mother that didn't kick him out of the house when he was wearing that crazy t-shirt. By the way, great story. None of us knew that uh, this morning about that shirt. It wasn't Jeff. Okay, well, who, well, anyway, Jeff's mother, Jeff Smelser, her mother had two sons ten months apart. That is turning them out. That is kind of multiplying that you would just keep going. He's 99 years old. Like, what kind of a factory can he really be? He can't. And that's why Jehovah comes to Abraham and he says, I'm Almighty. I can do anything. And what I'm going to do with you is I'm going to multiply you. And I am going to change your name. Verse 3. Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, The whole my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude 
of nations. Not only are you going to be one nation, there are going to be many nations that come from you. Now that's multiplying. That is extending that out and out. And so verse 5, No longer shall your name be called Abram, exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. At a hundred years old, that's what Abraham is told. I don't know about you, but I think that's a little crazy. I've thought about how many people we have that are 95 and above in this congregation. Trudy is in that category. Miss Corrine is in that category. Can you imagine five more years from now? Trudy being told, I'm about to multiply. Sarah was 90 at the time. Five years younger, five years ago, Trudy would have been told, go multiply. We all said, not a chance. But not Abraham and not Sarah. They did just quite the opposite. And so you would just see this over. And so Abraham... You would think that he just gobbled it right up, right away, right? Because with Abraham, Abraham believes everything that God says. He believed that he would have the descendants as many as the stars and of the sand of the seashore. And he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he just took it right as it was. Well, I want you to notice down a little further in the chapter. Look down here in chapter 17. And the verse that I am looking for is verse 17. So let's just actually pick up verse 15. So God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall no longer call her Sarai, but you shall call her Sarah. You're not going to call her a princess because there are going to be kings that come from you. You're going to call her princess. And 16, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then here it is, 17. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born of a man or to a man who was a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who was ninety years old, bear a child? Abraham didn't believe it a little bit. Because it's unbelievable that this would even come to be. But yet we would know that he does believe, that he does change, and we'll come back to him in just a moment. I want you to notice how the fathers kept passing this idea of the Almighty down to each other. I want you to look in chapter 28. After Isaac has received the promise from God that he would be the one that would carry that, okay? Because remember, Abraham had more than one son. He had Ishmael. He had others that came later, but the son of promise was Isaac. He was the one that was chosen. And so you have in chapter 28, Isaac speaking to his son that would be chosen. And notice verse 3. He said, Shaddai, God Almighty, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. And may he give the blessing of Abraham to you, and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings and that God gave to Abraham. What he's saying is, I hope that God Almighty 
gives you the same blessing that he gave our father and me. And we see in chapter 28, he does get that very blessing. Jacob gets that. But I want you to notice in chapter 35, when Jacob gets a new name, and we know Jacob's new name is Israel, right? Or Israel, however you say that. So look down in verse 11. Let's pick up in verse 9. That God appeared to Jacob again. He had already appeared to him at Luz, which was renamed Bethel, which means the house of God. And so as he was laying there and he saw that ladder going into the heavens, that's the event in which he receives the promise, he named that place Bethel because that's the house of God. Notice here in verse 9 that God appeared to Jacob again. And when he came from Padan Haram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob, and no longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, here, Shaddai, I am Shaddai, God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations will come from you, and kings and so forth. That this promise was about multiplication, and that it was going to be done by the one who was almighty. So Jacob, as he speaks to his son, that the promise would come through in one sense or another, but not the Messiah. But he says to Joseph, his favorite son in chapter 48, as he has been called there, I just want you to notice who he says appeared to him. In verse 3 of Genesis chapter 48, he says, Shaddai appeared to me at Luz. That's how they're referring to him. That is how they are speaking of the one that we call God. They were calling him the Almighty because that's the way he wanted to be known to them. He wanted Abram to understand how strong he was, what he was able to do when no one else would be able to do that. And that's one of the things we need to remember about God is that the way he chooses to reveal himself to man is very important. He doesn't reveal himself in the same way to everyone. Because not everyone is in the same situation. Nor does everyone need the same thing, nor is everyone going to be appealed by the same thing. But yet, what he does is he gives what is needed for people to have faith in him. So that's when you get to Exodus 6, that when he's telling Moses... I didn't tell them by my name Jehovah. I told them Shaddai. But you go and you tell them that Jehovah has sent you. And they will know that I am Jehovah, the one that has existed. Because guess what they had down there? A multitude of gods. And he's making it clear to them that they know there is one. And one that has always been. There's a transformation there from the one who does amazing things, creating the world and creating a nation out of someone who shouldn't have been a nation created out of them. He's able to do that, but now he wants to see the Lord. Now I want to go to one other passage. And I want to spend this time, practically speaking, thinking about Abraham and some lessons we can get from him. I want you to go to Romans, the fourth chapter. In Romans, the fourth chapter, we learn a little bit about 
Abraham's mindset at the time that Shaddai appeared to him and gave him this promise that Sarah was going to have his child. And it would be that child of promise. And so you would see him talking about the promise in verse 13. And then verse 16. Let's pick up in verse 16. So that's why it depends on faith. This promise depended on faith, not on works of law or anything like that. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, all of his seed. And so not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is, and here's the phrase, the father of us all. What we have to realize and what the New Testament is going to point out to us is that Christians have one father. As Michael pointed out this morning, all creation can be traced back to one man, one family. Christians can be traced back to one man, one family. That's Abraham. The whole world doesn't have that. And so we'll look at some passages that definitely talk about that. But what is being promised to Abraham and the blessings that are coming for him are for all people who will be like father, like son. That they will have the faith of father Abraham. And that's what we're going to see here in Romans 14. So I want you to notice a few things about the faith of Abraham that you and I need to incorporate in our lives if we aren't already having those things. So it's in verse 17. He says, as it's written, I have made you the father of many nations. That's quoting from Genesis 17 when he changes his name. You will now be called Abraham. And notice how the writer here in Romans says it. I have made you a father of many nations. Like, not I will. He is saying this is happening. And it is happening right now because it will come from you. So we're talking about that time. So in the presence of God, this is Abraham being in the presence of the God in whom he believed. And here's a little description of what he believed. To the one who gives life to the dead, did Abraham believe that God could raise someone from the dead. Genesis 22. After 17, he clearly believed that you tell me to kill my son, I know you can bring him back from the dead. Hebrews 11 says God figuratively did bring him back from the dead. He believed that his God, Shaddai, could raise people from the dead. He had no reason to believe that. There had been no example that we are aware of in Scripture up to that point that would say the Almighty could bring someone from the dead. But Abraham says, this God, I believe, can do that. And here's the reason why he believed he could do it. Because he calls into existence the things that do not exist. If my God created Things out of nothing. Surely he can bring somebody back from the dead. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I make that mental leap. That I'm looking around and I'm looking around and I say, you know what? Where did that tree come from out there? 
Where did I come from out there? Oh, from nothing. I think I would be stumped right there. But not Abraham. Abraham says we came from nothing. And so surely he can give something, something life. Because, guess what he already did, basically? He did that. Remember back in the garden, what did he form man out of? The dust of the earth? Something that is completely inanimate. He breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul, a living being at that point. Like, that's calling something that was nothing into something. That is giving life to something that is lifeless. And he says, man, my God can do that. And if my God can do that, I think, let me use another word, I believe my God can multiply me when I'm 100 years old. That's crazy. That is some serious belief in him. So notice what it is here in verse 18. Here's the first thing I want to point out to you. That if we're going to have faith like Abraham, we have to expect in the unexpected. And I want you to see that from verse 18 here. Notice how it says here. In hope, he, that is Abraham. And remember how we use our term hope, biblically speaking? In expectation. He expected, he believed against expectation. I'll say that again. In hope, he believed against hope. When there was no reason to expect that he would have a child at age 100, he says he still expected it. He still thought, you know what, God can do it. So that he should become the father of many nations. If it said, so shall your offspring be. And i got to tell you something right here, right now. I don't expect the unexpected. And Abraham at times in his life, he also didn't expect the unexpected. When he was first told the promise about how he would have descendants as numerous as the stars and of the sand of the seashore, right? Remember how, remember how they decided they were going to deal with that problem? Sarah says, here's Hagar. Take Hagar. Go into her and have children and it'll be by, it'll work. No, that's not the way it was supposed to be. That was not the plan. That was not what God had in mind because, yeah, it's pretty crazy that a 75-ish person would have a child. But we just saw that just a few weeks ago, didn't we, with Janet Jackson? Uh, was she 60-something, almost 70, and she just had a child? 50-something, doesn't matter. Crazy old. I'm giving her 70. She's not 70. How old was she, somebody? 50. That's still old to have a kid. Uh, right? That's still old to have a child. We're all in agreement on that one. I had 25 years of that. It's kind of crazy. It's, it's a little bit. I knew I should have, I knew I should have Googled that. Uh, uh, I couldn't remember. Again, my mind she's old. But nevertheless, uh, I lose my train of thought, but we'll gather it back. So you think about it, right? That wasn't the plan. The plan was not, Abraham, you do it your way. The plan was, I'm going to do this in you. I'm going to multiply you, not you're going to multiply yourself. So you think about it, and here's the second thing that we're going to notice about Abraham when it comes to our faith, is that we have to expect the unexpected. 
So you and I, we think God is going to work out things in the way that we see it going to happen, right? Say I'm going to get married and it's going to be great and we're going to have all this bliss. And the truth is told, it ain't going to be that in one sense. And you're expecting all of these things, but what we have to learn to do is be like, the way I think it's probably going to be is probably actually not the way it's going to be. God has probably got something else in store and in plan for me, and I've got to be okay with that. But so many times we get stuck on our own plans and kind of do it our own way and using a phrase, we help God out. And the truth is that's not a lot of faith because we're putting really our faith in, well, here's what I'm going to do about it, and I hope God is going to work along with me in that, rather than trusting God. Now, that doesn't mean we sit back and we do nothing. Don't get me wrong on that, right? But it means... When God tells us He's going to do something, don't expect it to happen the way you think it's going to happen. Because God does things very unexpectedly. Because He's not like us. He does it in His time, as we used to sing in that old book. But notice the second thing that I want you to point out. Of where His focus was. He expected in things that were unexpectable. That He would have a child at that age. So notice in 19. But he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. He heard, I'm going to make you and I'm going to multiply your descendants. I'm going to multiply you. But he didn't weaken in that. But he thought about himself. He really sat there and thought, how can I, a hundred years old, have a kid? We saw that in Genesis 17 and verse 17. He thought about that. And what he thought about his body was that which was as good as dead. I can't bring life into this world. My time to pass on my family name has gone. I'm as good as dead here. But he didn't just think about himself. He thought about his wife as well. When he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, he's thinking, man, she's been barren for 90 years. What's going to be different now? I wonder how many years they tried to have children. My guess is a lot of years. And they've thought about all of this effort and all of this work and all of this prayer and all of this really desire to have a family. But no distrust, verse 20, made him waver concerning the promise of God. I think that idea of no distrust was that moment when he fell on his face in Genesis 17, 17, and he said, how can a man a hundred and a woman ninety ever afford a child? I think for a moment, a split second, he was human, if you want to say it that way. He considered himself. He considered his wife. But when he considered it, he didn't let that sway him. It didn't cause him to be weak. In his faith. He still believed it because God said it. And so, in fact, instead of getting weaker as he looked at himself and he thought about himself, notice the phrase there in verse 20, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Notice how that transition is. When maybe we as humans, we would get weaker when we look at that. Abraham said, man, this is a way that God will show himself even more. It will really show how almighty 
He is because I know now this is not me having a kid. This is clearly something special, something miraculous. And so all along, Sarah, how are you pregnant? Should I? Not us. No doctor, no fertility, no nothing. Should I? That is how we're able to do it. He's the one that made it possible and all of this goes. And so what happens far too often is we focus too much on the human element. We focus too much on ourselves. And we don't think about Him who's made the promise. But Abraham, he thought about himself for a moment, and then he turned his attention to the one who made the promise. And so because he did that, verse 21, he was fully convinced. I think the King James says he was fully persuaded. I imagine there was a moment where he doubted, and then he said, you know what? This guy hasn't let me down before. God's never let me down. He's come through on everything that he said he was going to do. And surely he will do this as well. And he was fully convinced, persuaded that God was able to do what he had promised. And so as it says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That is not your typical person who has faith in God. That is an extraordinary faith in God. But the Roman writer tells us the words, they were counted to him. God credited him that way. God put it on his account that he was made righteous because of his faith. That wasn't written down just for Abraham. Abraham was told that. But it wasn't just for Abraham's sake, but for ours, verse 24. Because it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead the Lord Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespass, for our justification. See, we have to believe something almost as ridiculous. That God came in the flesh and died. That's somewhat of an unbelievable story. That God could even leave heaven. And that he could go back. And that all of this stuff could take place. That if someone was to tell us that. Without having it written down in a book that we can go back and check the facts, right? So imagine just someone came up to you and they told you a story. So there was this, there was this guy. He was born by a virgin. And when he was born, there was this great thing that was going on, people were singing, people were all excited, and this guy, he just kind of grew up, and one day when he's 12 years old, he's asking and he's answering questions around the smartest people, and everyone's like, where did this kid get his understanding? And he's like, I've got to be about my father's business. Who? Your father's a carpenter. Your father's business? What are you talking about? At age 12, Jesus was already pointing that he wasn't from here. He belonged somewhere else. His real father was there. And I'm going to be honest, I wouldn't believe that story if I didn't have it written down. I could go and I could see miracles and people writing down, we saw it with our own eyes. 
We heard it with our own ears. You just tell me that story, I say, man, you made that up. But thankfully what we have written down is we have all it written down. We have the amazing things of a hundred-year-old man having a child, and then the hundred-year-old man having many more children after that child with his wife, Keturah. You just think about that. And you say, only one person could do that. Someone who has all the power in the world. The person that brings life into existence. The person that gives life to the dead. They call these things to an existence. And the way that you and I are counted righteous before God is not our faith that God will make us into a great nation. That He will multiply us. That's not the promise that has been made to you and I. The promise that has been made to us has been, verse 26, that we would stand justified. That we would be able to stand right before Him if we just believe in Jesus who was crucified and He was raised for us. I'll tell you, I think we have it a lot easier than the people of the first century. I think I could find some way, and we even find ways today, to discredit the Bible. I think I could find some way to discredit a miracle. I'd be like some of those, maybe, potentially. That they saw that the man was 40 and he was clearly healed, and say, how did this happen? you got to explain it away. Or you got this and you got that. You come up with something. They didn't have faith like their father Abraham. They didn't have it. And so a passage that is repeated multiple times, and it's come up in John 12 at Wendy's on Thursday night. It came up this morning in class, and Michael even referenced it, this chapter in Romans chapter 10 this morning, and I want to go to it as we close out here. As Michael referenced verse 13 this morning of Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Simple statement, okay? Obedience, as he pointed out this morning. But here's how it comes about that man can even call on the Lord to be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on Him and whom they've not believed? Can they call out to someone to help if they don't believe that person can help them and save them? The answer is they won't call out to them because they know nothing is possible. And how are they to believe in Him whom they've never heard? How can they have belief that this person will save them if they've never even heard about the person that can save them? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So how can they even hear to believe unless somebody tells them about it? And so verse 15, so how are they to preach unless they're sent? How are you supposed to tell people unless you know what to tell them? And it says, man, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But here it is, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Many people have heard the gospel, but they have not obeyed it because Isaiah said this very thing. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? It is unbelievable, the story of Jesus and the cross. But we have people all throughout our father Abraham 
who believed unbelievable things. And you and I, we have to be in that same boat. Believe unbelievable things. Because it's true what God has in store for those. So where does faith come from? Where does trust in God come from? Where do we get this faith like Abraham? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of Christ. The more that Abraham was told by God, this is what I'm going to do, the stronger he got. And the more that you and I read about what God has done and what God will do, the stronger we will get. Don't focus so much on ourselves. Focus on Him. If you need the prayers of the congregation or you're ready to submit your life this evening, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing. There's a lot of